wonderful um, introduction to the message that I have for you tonight. Often we look at the Christmas story and we think it's full of happy endings and all sorts of good stuff. And it certainly was a happy ending in the sense of God bringing to fruition the promises that he had made. But it's very likely that most of those people who are in, were involved, including Mary, didn't understand what was happening. That's what faith is. Faith is the fact that we say to God, yes, I'm happy to be used by you, in spite of not knowing what's going to happen. <clears throat> Just before I start, I do want to mention to you, um, I brought down some um, cards that are out on the table. You're welcome to take one if you like. This is because it's the end of the year and people at the beginning of the year like we should say, yeah, I want to read the Bible. These cards are put out by our church, so nothing will be there, that's fine. Um, basically, this particular plan goes through the Bible chronologically, but leaves out the difficult bits. It's like Leviticus, the really gnarly bits, right? Um, if you want to read the Bible in such a way as to get an idea of the overview of the Bible, that's what this, these cards are for. So being the end of December, if you are looking at, at reading the Bible next year, and if you have no other plans, not say this is better than any other, not saying that at all, there are other plans that are available and you're welcome to use whatever you want. All we want you to do is to be reading your Bible. They are there if, um, outside <coughs> if you are interested. And as we come to open God's Word, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son and the fact that we celebrate his birth at Christmas. Father, we do thank you for the promises made and, and fulfilled and for the faith of people like Mary and Joseph. Lord, as we open your Word, we pray that you would touch hearts with your Word. Please teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. In our Bibles, we, can, we have four different accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you might have wondered, why do we have four accounts? Why not just one? Because this, the Bible just being a bit overactive. Well, the reason we've got four different accounts is that they were written to different audiences. They had very different purposes in mind. So as a result, each of those four accounts that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a different flavor from one another. Let me explain. I will leave Matthew for the moment because we're going to be coming back to Matthew. Let's look at Mark and Luke and John for starters. It seems to us that Mark probably came to uh, meet Jesus very late in Jesus' life, if at all. Mark's account has a punchy, sort of always-on-the-go feel to it. The word immediately appears in Mark's Gospel 36 times. Immediately, Jesus went and did this. Immediately after that, he went and did this. So there's a real punchiness to Mark's Gospel. His account is intentionally brief. And basically it seems as though uh, it could be read aloud to an audience and then that person could then take that message to another audience the next night and go and um, uh, give the same message to them. 
So that's Mark. In contrast to Mark's urgency, Luke's gospel was deliberate and methodical. Luke never met Jesus. He came in after the, after Jesus had risen, as in risen back to heaven. But he was a very careful historian. Luke only wrote, wrote two books in the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of the Acts of the Apostles. However, those two books combined are larger in the New Testament than any other writer, including Paul or John. Both of Luke's books were written for a Roman guy named Theophilus. And Luke's gospel is the easiest one for us to grasp as Western people. The third gospel writer was John. He was not only one of Jesus' disciples, but he was one of his most intimate disciples. John wrote very much from the heart. John's stated purpose in writing was to prove that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world and to prove that everyone needed to trust him alone for salvation. So those are the other three gospel writers. Then we come to Matthew. Matthew, the author of the first gospel, was a despised tax collector before Jesus met him. Now the Jews viewed tax collectors as those who had sold their souls to the occupying Romans. They collected taxes for the Romans with an almost rapacious desire for money. And as a tax collector, Matthew was then banned from attending either the synagogue or the temple. However, that actually turned out to be a huge advantage for Matthew because at the time, the Jewish religious system was incredibly corrupt. And the fact that Matthew was prohibited from entering places of worship or Jewish places of worship meant that all that he really had to work with was what you and I call the Old Testament scriptures. And he obviously studied those Old Testament scriptures very carefully His gospel contains heaps of Old Testament references, one of which we will look at this evening. In fact, one thing you'll find in Matthew's gospel is a recurring phrase, something like, this occurred to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, da-da-da-da-da. And that occurs 13 times in Matthew's gospel. One of them we will see in our passage tonight that was read out to us before. So the passage I want to study is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you've got a Bible, you might like to turn there and follow along. Now, the the title of the sermon is, Jesus came to earth, so what? Jesus came to earth, so what? I want to have three main headings plus a conclusion at the end. So the first point is, the story so far. Now the fact that we are starting with verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1 means that we are skipping the first 17 verses. And we as Western people often skip those first 17 verses because they contain hard to pronounce names and they really don't mean much to us anyway. However, that list of names was crucially important to the Jewish nation because they proved that Jesus came from the right family. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and if he was the Messiah, he had to have the right parentage. Some 2,000 years earlier, God had promised Abraham that one of his male descendants would be the promised Messiah. Later on, God revealed that it would be a descendant of David, King David. 
So any man who come along, came along claiming to be the Messiah, but if he came from any other family, then he would immediately be exposed as an imposter. So Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 to 17 proves that Jesus came from David's family, which was crucially important. That's why Matthew 1 verses 1 to 17 has what it does. We then come to verses 18 and 19, which says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now the angel Gabriel had visited this young girl named Mary. She was probably around 12 to 13 years old, the age at which young people were betrothed. That's like an engagement in our term. The angel told her that the Holy Spirit would cause her to conceive a baby without the involvement of a man. And that's exactly what happened. Mary found herself pregnant without the involvement of a man. Now, this obviously caused a massive problem for her. How could she tell her fiancé Joseph about the baby? After all, he would never believe that she'd become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, who on earth would believe such a tale, right? Nevertheless, she told Joseph all that had happened, even though she knew that the story was frankly unbelievable. Let's now consider this from Joseph's point of view. In Jewish society, having a pregnant fiancé outside of marriage meant that Joseph had only three choices, none of which were appealing. The first choice was to expose Mary as an adulteress. This would involve a humiliating scandal and a quick trial, after which Mary would be stoned to death as an adulteress. Massive shame would also be heaped upon her family, Obviously a horrible prospect. Second choice. Joseph could proceed with the marriage and adopt the baby, knowing full well that the child was not his. Sure, they would be married, but there would always be the question mark over Joseph's head about Mary's honesty. Not only had she she committed adultery before their wedding, but she also refused point blank to tell him who the father was. The third choice was that Joseph could divorce her quietly without fanfare. Mary would be spared the indignity of public exposure. It would still result in scandal, which would keep the Jewish rumour mills churning for years. Also, not a great prospect. So those were Joseph's three choices, all of them disastrous in at least one way. Matthew says that Joseph's preferred choice was to divorce her quietly. It must have seemed to him the least problematic. Notice also that Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man in verse 19. That word just suggests that Joseph was a true believer in God who was declared righteous and carefully obeyed the law. He was a good man. And obviously he loved Mary. But this then left him with an impossible decision. I mean, he knew that Mary was no fool. 
Surely she should have been able to come up with a better story than God got me pregnant. This then brings us to point number two, divine intervention. Matthew then continues the story, verses 20 to 21. We read this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." The angel's message, although brief, gave Joseph many facts. Firstly, Joseph was given clear directions. He was told to take Mary as his wife. Secondly, and this must have been a massive relief for him, Mary had not lied at all. All that she had claimed was true. The baby growing inside her was indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, Mary would bear a son and Joseph was commanded to name him Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. And the angel then gave the reason for this, for he will save his people from their sins. Now we're going to come back to that in a few moments. Matthew then gives an explanation, which is one of these verses I referred to earlier, where Matthew shows that some event fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Matthew says this, verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That Old Testament prophecy had been given to one of the Old Testament prophets named Isaiah, who lived some 700 years before. Joseph was told that his own fiancée Mary was the one who had been chosen to bear this being Emmanuel. Even that name Emmanuel reveals an extraordinary truth. This was God come to earth in human form. This brings us to point number three, humble obedience. Humble obedience. Verses 24 to 25. Verses 24 to 25, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Now, when Matthew says that Joseph took his wife, it means that he took her into his home. However, they did not consummate the marriage until after she had given birth to Jesus. Once the baby had been born, Joseph and Mary enjoyed a normal, happy marriage relationship. Mary did not remain a virgin all her life. Now, we read these verses and think that this is a happy ending. We like happy endings, don't we? And we like to think that the Bible stories have happy endings. It makes a nice end to Sunday school classes. And don't get me wrong, this certainly was indeed good news for mankind. The promised Messiah, the saviour of the world, God himself in human form had come to earth. This was indeed wonderful news. However, for Joseph and Mary at that time, 
this outcome still had its share of problems. Joseph's decision to take Mary as his wife was incredibly gutsy. In doing so, Joseph agreed to adopt the baby as his own. But more than that, he was willing to endure the shame that accompanied a baby conceived out of wedlock. People were not stupid. They knew the date of Joseph and Mary's wedding. They could calculate that this baby was born only six months into that marriage. So here we see Joseph's tender compassion towards Mary's predicament and a willingness to stand beside her and fully support her in her shame. He was willing to share the disgrace that came upon both of them. He desired to obey God and he loved Mary. Truly, Joseph was a just man. So that's the passage I wanted to look at. Let's now have a look at the conclusion. Because you'll remember that I titled this sermon, Jesus came to earth, so what? And this is where I want to answer that question. In fact, verse 21 answers the question for us. It tells us that Jesus came to earth to save his people from their sins. The issue of sin is a big problem and had been a big problem that had remained unresolved ever since Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden. At that time, God promised to send a male who would once and for all deal with that problem of sin. You see, every one of us has this problem of sin within us. We sin in two ways. First of all, we've all done things that God has commanded us not to do. And secondly, we have all likewise failed to do many things that God commands that we must do. Both aspects are sin. So in both cases, we stand guilty before God, failing to obey him. Now this guilt of sin is like a huge weight on our back. And Jesus came with the express purpose, singular, this was his singular purpose for coming to earth, was to deal with that sin problem. Sure, he came and healed scores of people from physical ailments. He even raised the dead. But they were only secondary to his main purpose. His singular purpose was to deal with that problem of sin. Do you feel the weight of sin on you? Do you feel that burden of weight of sin? The effects of sin are all around us. Just a few weeks ago, the Victorian Police Deputy Commissioner, Rick Nugent, stated that in the last financial year, police attended 82,000 incidences of family violence in Victoria alone. 82,000 incidents of family violence in Victoria in one year. That's one every six minutes. And they're only the ones that involve the police. If you feel the burden of sin, if you come to Christmas and hear about Christmas being a time of peace, you go, yeah, right, absolutely. Because you know that your family does not have peace, then you need to listen to me very carefully. Jesus came to earth to free you from that burden of sin. 
Jesus himself said this. Now I want to quote this from the New International Reader's Version. I don't normally use this version, but I love the way it puts it. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are tired and are carrying heavy loads. I will give you rest. Become my servants and learn from me. I am gentle and free of pride. You will find rest for your souls. Serving me is easy and my load is light. Jesus came to take your heavy burden of sin and to give you a much lighter burden. If you are burdened today, you can look to Jesus today. He can free you from that burden today. He can give you eternal life today. He promises to walk beside you every step of the way, not only today, but for the rest of your life and into eternity. That's how Jesus coming to earth applies to you. Do not leave here today until you know the Jesus that came to earth to save you from sin. And you can have peace this Christmas. Peace with God. That's why Jesus came to earth. To bring peace. The passage that was written, uh, read to us before from Isaiah chapter 9 said, Of the increase of his peace there will be no end. But God wasn't talking about nations. God was talking about individuals. God brings peace on earth one heart at a time. And that peace is still available. If you'd like to come and speak to one of us afterwards, I'm sure we'll be happy to talk with you. Thank you. Why don't we pray? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the offer of peace that is still here. And Lord, as we come here this Christmas time, we pray that there would be people who come into your kingdom because they realize the weight of sin that they have and the peace that is available to them and the freedom that comes by submission to you. Lord, as we sing this last song, Majesty, where we exalt and, and declare your majesty, Lord, I pray that you would draw people into your kingdom so that they would see your majesty and rejoice in you. May your Holy Spirit work mightily this Christmas period, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.